good to see you. You guys all right? All right. It's good to see you. I'm glad there's one or two awake. I know it's cold. Man, I know it is cold, and it's going to get colder uh, as the day goes on and the night comes, but uh, we pray that you will all be. We prayed for you all this morning, for you, your homes, your pipes, your heat, all those things. Uh, may everything continue to work the way it's supposed to work and uh, not have any issues. All right, well, I'm glad you guys are with us. Again, those of you from online, welcome this morning. We're praying for you, and especially those who are ill, unable to get out, that you would be well, that God would touch you and strengthen you. Uh, well, let me, let's open our Bibles. I'm going to ask you to turn to two places. First, Isaiah 55, Isaiah 55, and then uh, Matthew chapter 4. All right, here at uh, New Life Church, our mission is to make Jesus the center of our life, our church, and our community. And today we're going to be diving into one of our core values as a church, kingdom-minded, being kingdom-minded. Here at NLC, we value God's ways, the ways of the kingdom of God over our ways. And not that that's always easy to walk out, uh, but it's a value of ours that, that guides us that is out in front of us, uh, that shows us this is the way we're called to live as followers of Jesus. We don't always get it right. We're not always, we don't always strike 100%, but it's our aim. It's our heart. It's a value, of a heartbeat of our church. Isaiah 55, verse 8, he writes this about the Lord. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than yours. And my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Kingdom-minded people, followers of Jesus, we are expected to want and choose and develop the mind of Christ and living with a kingdom mindset. Just to kind of set the preface for today, the Bible teaches us in a variety of ways that we are called to choose this way as followers of Jesus. 1 Corinthians 2, Paul tells us this, that the, we as believers can actually understand the thoughts and the ways of God because it says we have the mind of Christ. The believer in the Lord having the Holy Spirit in them, you have the mind of Christ. Paul writes in Romans 12, too, that we must choose to allow the Lord to renew our mind or to transform our mind, to change us. And he writes in Ephesians 6 that it's every day we must choose to put on the helmet of salvation, to put it on, to wear it, not a physical thing. It's not a hat. It's not a helmet. Physically, spiritually, we have the mind of of Christ, of we have a saved mind. We don't have to have a depraved mind. We don't have to have a crazy mind. We can have the calm, peaceful, strong, pure, holy mind of God. And in Philippians 4, Paul writes that we must choose to fix our thoughts 
on the higher things of God. And in 2 Corinthians 10, Paul writes and reminds us that we are in a spiritual battle. We don't fight flesh and blood. Our battles are not people. Our battles are spiritual. And because they are spiritual, we have the authority in the name of Christ to take every thought captive to the obedience of God. And so we, being kingdom-minded, living kingdom-minded, is about living the ways of God, living out and making it our aim. But we must develop that mindset. It's not just going to happen. It's not just going to happen. We can't just expect our minds to change if we don't expose our mind to the Word of God and to the Spirit of God and to the presence of God and to the people of God. And so all of that working together We must allow ourselves to be open to that and to be receptive of that if we want our hearts, our minds, our thoughts to shift and change and not be worldly, not be compromised, not be full of things that are not of the Lord. And so if we want our lives to go in that direction, then that means our hearts, our minds have to be open to receive, to go in that direction, all right? And so NLC, that's a value of ours, a core value of ours, to live kingdom-minded. Let's look at... Matthew 4 to set up our main text today. Matthew 4, verses 1 through 11. I'm going to read the first two to start off. He writes this. Jesus was, it said, then Jesus. The reason it's then is because Jesus is grown. He's around 30 years old. He had been raised. He had been taught. Scripture had been taught the ways of the Lord. And um, he was baptized and he was about to start his earthly public ministry. But before that began, here's what happened. It says, Jesus was led by the Spirit of God into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights he fasted, and he became very hungry. And the beginning of verse 3 says, During that time, the devil came. Would you pray with me over today's word? Lord, we give you thanks for speaking to us. Thank you for your written word. Thank you for your spoken word. Thank you for your prophetic word. Lord, today speak to us. Let us hear it. Give us ears to hear and hearts to receive it, lives to walk it out, and fill my mouth and my heart with what you want to say today to your people. In Jesus' name, you can say amen and amen. This is a text, Matthew 4 is a text that I'm often drawn to uh, throughout uh, the beginning part of each year. It's just something that God's always kind of taken me back to. And this text can be preached and taught with some variation. So I've preached it a lot over my time and um, do it again today by the grace of God. Who has ever made a phone call or a text to somebody you know that's in your contacts um, and you, you call them or you text them something and you get a reply back, something maybe kind of like this. They, they reply back, got a new phone, lost my contacts, who dis? Who dis? Right? It's happened a few times in, 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 since phones have come out, smartphones have come out. People get phones all the time. Sometimes tra- uh, the contacts don't always transfer. And you get the, who dis? Then you got to go back, and you feel bad. You're like, well, man, I'm like your best friend. Don't you know who I am? Like, we chat. We, we, we're together all the time. You don't know my number? Before smartphones came out, obviously we used to have the 
you know, original phones, like what I would call original phones, where you had to push a button to dial or you had to do the rotary and go all the way around. Some of you know, a few of you remember those. And um, I used to have like 50 or 60 phone numbers cataloged in my brain. Uh, I still remember my home number. From when I was growing up, Haley and I were talking about this the other day. We remember those old phone numbers from way back when. I used to have 50-plus phone numbers cataloged in my head of, of people. I mean, I could pull it up, name a name. I could spout off that number. Can't do it today. I'm good enough to remember my own and my own Social Security number, you know, without having to look stuff up because it's always at the fingertips of our phone, right? Who dis? I would say today, I propose to you today that we need to have a who dis mentality when it comes to the temptations of the devil. Jesus had a who dis mentality to the temptations of the devil. And if you haven't guessed by now, the title of today's message is Who Dis? Who Dis? Jesus was about to begin his earthly ministry, begin his journey to the cross, the resurrection, what he was sent to earth for, what he came for. And he was going through a testing, or he, he was going through a period of temptation. We must remember, God tests us, the devil tempts us. James chapter 1 teaches on that, that God tests us to bring the best out of us. The devil tempts us to bring and make us the worst. And so obviously the devil wanted to try to corrupt the Son of God from being pure and holy and righteous and blameless so he could not go to the cross and die as a sacrificial lamb for the sins of the world. He would do anything he could to ruin that. And today he would do anything he, anything he can to ruin your life for the Lord. Anything that God has for you, all that God has for you, he would try to do anything to derail that and to get you to not focus on that and to get you certainly to turn your back on that. He'd do anything he can. He was tempted by the devil three times during this time of prayer and time of fasting. He was there because God's Spirit led him there. And ultimately, what God wanted to do with him, he had to go through some things. And he was tempted. Three times. You know, it tells us this, that if the devil doesn't succeed first, he will try again in a different way. Kind of like those uh, extended car warranty phone calls. Anybody ever get those? <laughs> he, will, he will try again a different way in a different time. But let's look at these, these three temptations today and how Jesus walked through them, overcame them, and how you and I can do the same. Verse 3 said, The devil came to him and he said, If you are the Son of God, then tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, No, the Scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. His first temptation, the devil tempted Jesus to despair his father's provision and care. This first temptation, the devil tried to get the Son of God, Jesus Christ, to despair that his father had the ability to provide for him and care for him. Does anybody ever in your lifetime ever struggle with wondering, how, is, how am I ever going to get through this thing right here? How is God going to make it possible in my life to make provision? It seems insurmountable. The odds are against me. The burden is heavy. The debt is huge. How in the world is God going to make something come about in my situation? 
The, the enemy, the tempter, said, hey, you're hungry, right? Absolutely, I'm hungry. Been fasting. Hungry. He said, well, you're the Son of God. Take, why don't you just tell those rocks, those stones there, to just become loaves of bread? You certainly have the ability to do that. Why don't you just abandon the care of your Father as your provider and as your caretaker for your life? Why don't you go outside of the realm of your Father's provision and care for you? And why don't you make it happen by your own hand, by your own force, by your own ability? Why don't you just bypass God's process? Because you're the Son of God. If you really are, make it happen. I think a story that talks about bypassing the process of God takes place in Genesis with Abraham and Sarah. God had come to them. They were, they were pursuing him, following his instructions and obeying him. And God had promised them a son. And through that son, Abraham would become the father of many nations. God would create a whole new people who would, on this planet, display the covenant relationship with Yahweh, with God. And it wasn't happening. They were, get, they were already old, and they were getting a lot older, and, and nothing was happening. They were not producing. And so one day, Sarah came to Abraham and said, you know what, I have this servant, Hagar. Why don't you take her as your wife, sleep with her, and maybe she'll give you the son that this God's talking about. He's like, okay, why not? Let's try it. So that's what happened. They married Hagar, had a, she got pregnant, and they had a son. His name was Ishmael. Problem was, it was not God's process. They had taken this whole situation of God, the promise of God, and removed God from the entire equation. And they tried to make it happen on their own. There's a whole lot of storylines you can go off with Ishmael. Well, they realized they made a mistake. And there's... Lots of good sermons on through all of that, dealing with Hagar, dealing with Ishmael, and all that stuff. God's promise was between Abraham and Sarah, not Abraham and Hagar. And so, ultimately, they came to their senses, they came together, and Isaac was born between Abraham and Sarah, the promised son, the promised child. It's an example that there's a lot of ways of life that sound real good to us on how you and I can make life happen for ourselves, on how we can make provision for ourselves. All maybe well done with good intention, not to intentionally cut God out, not to intentionally bypass God's process. But because it's safe to say it's not always easy to wait on the Lord, is it? I have, I'll be the first one to raise my hand. It's not always easy to be patient and wait on God and His timing. I mean, come on, Lord. I'm down here living this life. I'm down here working. I'm down here hustling. I'm down here trying to make things happen. Don't you see my struggle? Don't you see my need? I have smarts, I have wisdom, I have skill, I have talent, I have some time, I can do some things. And it may be all well and good, nothing illegal, nothing unethical, nothing immoral. But does it remove God from the center of the process? It did for Abraham and Sarah. 
And the devil knew this. The tempter knew this when he came to Jesus. If he could get Jesus to doubt and to turn away from his father being able to provide and care for him, then the rest would be history for us. No one in the world would ever be able to trust God as provider and caretaker. And so when this temptation came, Jesus took the who dis mentality, who dis attitude, and he said, don't you know, the scriptures tell us this. He was quoting out of Deuteronomy chapter 8, and I want to look at this. Look at it with me on the screen. He quotes it back. Moses wrote this in Deuteronomy 8, verse 2. It says, remember how the Lord your God led you through the wilderness for these 40 years when God was bringing them out? Humbling you, testing you to prove your character and to find out whether or not you would obey his commands. Yes, he humbled you by letting you go hungry and then feeding you with manna, a food previously unknown to you and your ancestors. He did this so he could laugh at you. Is that what it said? Okay, I just want to make sure you didn't go sleep on me. He did it to teach you that people do not live by bread alone. Rather, we live by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And then verse 4 goes on to tell us that when we do trust God, here's what happens. All those 40 years, your clothes didn't wear out and your feet didn't blister or swell. We probably have to get new shoes about every six months. And if you're real shopping, you really like to shop, you probably go about every six weeks. Not because you need them, you just like them, right? Right, I get it. They went 40 years. Feet didn't swell, didn't blister, none of their clothes wore out as a, as a sign. Jesus was pointing back to this instance, in this, in this moment of temptation. Wait a minute, I remember something. Who dis? God, my father, took care of Israel all the way back then. I think for these next few days of me praying and fasting and these next few years of my life on earth, I think, I believe, yeah, he's going to take care of me. New Testament, who dis? You and I can take home with us. First Peter 5, 7, Peter writes, Cast all your cares onto Christ because he cares for you. You, you and I can cast all of our cares, roll off all of our cares onto Christ. Why? Because He cares for you. There was a lady in my old church back when I was a teenager, when she would get up in front of people, and any time the word would say all, she would say, A-double-L, all. I mean, she said it with conviction. I was like 16 thinking, Dang, she's for real. God can do all A-double-L. Sometimes we got to have that going on for us when we're tempted. Can God really get me through my hardship? Can God really provide me, provide for me and care for me and get to me what I need and clothe me and take care of me and do all the things that I have to have in my life? Can he really show himself faithful? Cast all, A-double-L, all of your cares onto Christ. Whatever it is, an upcoming test, an upcoming situation at work, whatever it might be, you look at your budget and you see the difference and you're like, God, are you hearing me? Do you see me? I'm trying to honor you and be faithful to you and tithe to you and give to you and trust you, but I got to tell you, every time I give it, it is hard. It's not always easy. It is not always easy. 
It is, and I, I'm, if I, I'm sitting where you're sitting today, you better tell it. Preach it, preacher. Come on now. Don't you hold back. Okay, I won't hold back. I'm right there with you, church. I'm right there with you. Talking with a member this morning. Faithful member. Had a hard week. Took him out of town. Tried to fix some mess on the job. Ended up being a whole lot more than what they bargained for. Didn't plan for that kind of week. I'm right there with you guys. I'm right there with you. I don't preach to you from a platform, hey... I have arrived. There there are weeks and days where I struggle with this word just like you do. I struggle to get myself to be kingdom-minded just like you do. Some of us are from the south side of the kingdom. You know what I'm talking about? When I was real little, we moved back to Tennessee. We lived on the south side of the tracks. On the south side. Wasn't in an easy neighborhood. I was talking to somebody one time and told them where I used to live when I was a kid. They said, well, you come from money. I'm like, well, shoot, you sure don't know my story. (laughs) I don't come from money. Learning to retrain our brain our mind, our thoughts to be kingdom-minded takes time. But it takes effort. We have to want it. We have to have hootis every time you and I stop and pray and we roll our cares onto Christ, we're adopting and living out the hootis mentality. Before smartphones and social media, it was talk to the hand, right? Anybody ever have the talk to the hand? I know I'm bringing back some old school references. That's just me. I'm old school that way. But we have to have who this? Second temptation, verse 5. The devil took him to the holy city. Jesus took him up to the holy city, to Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple. And he said, if you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect you and they will hold you up with their hands. So... You won't even hurt your foot on a stone. And Jesus responded, The scriptures also say, You must not test the Lord your God. This temptation, the devil, the tempter, tempted Jesus to presume his Father's power and protection. To take it for granted. Anybody ever taken anybody or anything for granted? We've all probably been there at times. The tempter tempted him to presume his Father's power and protection. He said, hey, jump off. You can, you can do what you want. You can do what makes you happy. You can do what makes you feel good. You don't have to ask God about anything. Come on. And he quotes Psalm 91, verse 11 and 12. The, te- the devil, the tempter, quoting scripture to Jesus, the word made flesh. He said, you don't have to. Listen, church, look at me. We can't presume that we can do what we want, live how we want, chase our happiness outside of God's will for our life, and then expect God to protect us. It does not work that way. 
Because Psalm 91 begins with these words, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Charles Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers, said this about that psalm. Those who through rich grace obtain unusual and continuous communion with God so as to abide in Christ, Christ in them, they become possessors of rare and special benefits that are missed by those who follow afar off and grieve the Holy Spirit of God. So Jesus being tempted, jump off this cliff. The angels of God will take care of you. You can do what you want. He came back with Scripture. Who dis? Quoting Deuteronomy 6.16. Do not test the Lord your God, which is attached to a story in Exodus chapter 17. When God was, through Moses, was leading the people of Israel through the wilderness, they had left some areas, they came to a place where there was no water and no fresh water to drink. Rightly so, they were thirsty, but they were not nice about it. They were like complaining and arguing and bitter and like, Moses, can't you do anything? Moses, can't you make water? Moses, where's our God? Moses, can't you make it happen? And Moses is like, I don't know what to do anymore. So he takes a time out, goes over to the side, talks to the Lord. I don't want to do with these people. They're driving me crazy. I don't know what, I'm thirsty like they are, but what do we do? And God said, Moses, take your staff, go back out in front of everybody and there's a rock, and I want you to strike it, and water will come out. So that's exactly what Moses did. He went out, did that. Water gushed out when he struck the rock. Don't get it confused with another time when God told him to speak to the rock. This is the time where God said, strike the rock, all right? This was early on in their journey. And Moses named that place Massah, which means in Hebrew to test. Because the people said, is the Lord here with us or not? Is he here or not? New Testament, who dis? Galatians 5. Look at it on the screen. It says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and the desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. And since we are living by the Spirit... Let us follow the Spirit's leading whenever we desire, whenever we feel like it, whenever, I don't know, sounds like a good idea. No, it says, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Follow the Spirit. The Holy Spirit will never lead us astray. Holy Spirit will also not always lead us to what we want. Because our hearts can be tricky, and our minds can play with us, and our feelings can get involved, and the mind of Christ may not always overtake what needs to be done. But the Holy Spirit will never lead us into a place where God does not want us. All right? And so you and I can never be guilty of falling into into this temptation we, we do sometimes, but here's the reality. Let's not live with the presumption that I can do and live and however I want to and expect God to make up all the difference in my life. There, that does not work that way. 
Thirdly, third temptation. Verse 8. You guys okay? All right. Next, the devil took Jesus to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. He says, I will give it all to you, he said, if you will kneel down and worship me. Verse 10, get out of here, Satan. Jesus told him, for the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. The tempter tempted Jesus with the proposal to exchange his worship for the world. Tempted him to, with the proposal to exchange his worship for the world. Our worship means something. Your worship means something. The devil, the tempter, said, kneel down and worship me, and you can have everything you want. So many people get this mixed up, thinking they can have it both ways. We cannot have it both ways. That's why worship is so valuable, why worship is so important, why worship is so costly to us. Because we're not promised by God to have everything on this wor- in this world. What we are promised by God is to have eternal life. To eternally be alive forever in the most perfect place, in the most perfect way, in perfect union with our Creator. That's what we're promised. We are not promised every single thing in this world. There's a lot of things in this world you and I will never taste and never see and never possess. Just because someone else has it does not mean you and I are entitled to have it. Sadly, we live in a world that gets this very mixed up, which is why worship is so important. And Jesus comes back with a who-dat mentality, and he says, hey, the Scriptures say, and he quotes Deuteronomy 6.13, you must worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. A New Testament who-dis for us is found in Matthew 16. Look at it with me. About to come to a close. Late in, in, this, in his day, Jesus had been preparing his disciples for his upcoming crucifixion. And he was letting them know it's not going to be a pretty picture. It's going to be tough. And Peter, being the cool guy that he is, thought, I'm going to talk some sense into this guy. He's like, Jesus, you can't do this. You can't be killed. You can't go through this. Peter thought he could tell the Lord, you ain't going to do what you said you're going to do. And here's what Jesus tells him in verse 23. Jesus turned to Peter and he said, hey, get away from me, or in other translations, get thee behind me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. So you are seeing things merely from a human point of view and not from God's point of view. And then Jesus turned to the rest of his disciples and he said this, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways. 
Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but you lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? Worship is so important. And worship is so important because it creates... When we worship God with our lives, it creates in us His viewpoint for life, His mentality, His mindset for living here on earth and continues to prepare us for eternity, eternal life. Worship is so important because who we worship is what we will become. And the devil, the tempter, came to Jesus right here the Son of God, the Savior of the world, and He tempted Him with a proposal. Exchange your worship, and you can have everything this world has to offer. Sadly, so many people, every day, exchange their worship for the world. We're in the world, we live in the real world, absolutely, but the Bible teaches us we live in this world, but we are not to be like this world. There are ways of the world, there's a system of the world, there's a process of the world that does not compute and run the way God has designed his followers to run. Mindsets must change if you want our life if you want your life to change. Thinking must change if you want the outcome of your life to change. Kingdom minded thinking is something that is expected of followers of Jesus. The world expects people who follow Jesus to actually Do what Jesus said. Now, do we get it right all the time? No, I'm not talking about being perfect. I'm talking about setting our sights on what lies ahead and what is above us, what is better for us, what is greater for us. It will test our patience. We will have to go through suffering. You'll have to wait on God. You'll have to endure. You'll have to apologize when you don't want to. You'll have to forgive when you don't want to. You'll have to let go of offense when you rather hang on to it. Rather talk bad about somebody than as opposed to just pray for them. All these different things that just collide with the ways of the world. Kingdom-minded. we got to have a who-dis mentality because God... Our Father is our provider and our caretaker. God, our Father, is our protector and He has power to take care of us. And who we worship, our Creator, is who we will become like. Worship prepares us and creates within us the right view of this life. This story ends verse 11 it says the devil says then the devil went away and his angels came and took care of Jesus Luke writes for how this story ends he says when the devil finished tempting Jesus he left him until the next opportunity came listen to this quote ponder how valuable Your soul must be for Satan to tirelessly pursue it 
and the King of glory to lay down his life for it. Ponder how valuable your soul is. We're all going to deal with temptations. But Jesus has showed us you and I can have the right mindset to overcome and to ultimately trust our God to truly be our God in all things, in all areas, in all parts of our life. Let me invite you to stand. church we begin a journey together for the next 14 days to pray and fast we have created a little booklet that's online on our website nlcj.org and it talks about what fasting is talks about how you can set yourself up to begin the journey of fasting and praying. We also have supplied it with a daily devotional. You don't have to use our devotionals. Love it if you did. You don't have to. We give these to you and want you to have access to them uh, because they're really good. They're really sound. They're really helpful. And have those available for you. I want to give you a couple of thoughts to think about why it matters to get in God's Word. Just listen to this. Research has shown and proven those who read the Bible in some capacity four times or more in a week. Bitterness goes down 43%. Anger goes down 32%. Alcoholism drops down 42%. 60% less likely to view pornography. 30% less likely to struggle with loneliness. God's Word is a source of life a wellspring of life that not only encourages and teaches and corrects us, but man, it transforms us, changes us. So we invite you. I invite you to join us for these next 14 days. Take time every day as much as you can. Set aside some special time to get in the Word of God. There's no miracle equation that says X amount of time in a day or X amount of scriptures, verses in a day equals the overcoming life. Just shows, obviously, natural scientific research shows if you just get in the Word four times a week, what can happen? Jesus went on. Coming out of that wilderness time. And Luke says he went back and started his ministry week and 
dilapidated and frail. Does it say that? No. It says that Jesus went back and started his ministry in the power of the Holy Spirit. Friends, we got a year ahead of us that I want to see all of us live as overcomers, more than conquerors. In spite of whatever we face, in spite of whatever we wrestle with, in spite of whatever issue presents itself to us, that we would live as more than conquerors and overcomers, not by our might or our power, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. But it begins by being intentional. And that's how I'm going to end today, with just simply the invitation. If you want to mark out these next 14 days with an intention of commitment, God, whatever you have for me this year, I'm going to start these next 14 days and I'm going to give you some time, a little extra special time, a little more space in my heart and my mind. And I'm going to get in your word and I'm going to pray and I'm going to listen. I'm going to write it down and I'm going to be determined. I want to live way you've called me to live this year with a kingdom mind worthy of it all we're going to close with this and i invite you that if you want to make a commitment to that for these next 14 days i'm just going to invite you to join me down here we've cleared out the altar to make a little more space i'm not going to come by and pray for you this is just a sign that you are making god count me in i'm going to do this and i'm going to see what you have for me this year you don't have to know it all you just got to be committed to it and let jesus work his plan work his will in your life. Father, in Jesus' name, we love you. We thank you. Fill our lives this over these next two weeks. Fill us with your presence. Surprise us with your word as we open it and read it. God, open the eyes of our heart to see what it is you're saying. Let it fill us. Let it do what it needs to do inside of us and change our hearts, our minds, and the outset of our life and give us the focus and the view of being kingdom-minded believers who are strong in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to join me.